Hello, and welcome to a special bonus edition of the Purple Theory podcast. I have with me tonight, not my co-host and friend, Grant McGalliard, but a, uh, an online friend of mine nonetheless, Sam Bradshaw of Sikkim365 is, is here to talk and give us a little bit of insight into the Baylor Bears and kind of what, uh, what we could expect this weekend in the game between TCU and Baylor. So Sam, thanks for joining me tonight. How are you, man? Doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We, uh, we talk a bunch of the DMS. I think this is the first time we'd ever, uh, our schedules and our technology have aligned where we could do a, uh, an actual, um, voice to voice, uh, preview. So I'm very excited about this. Yeah. Looking forward to it. So, um, Sam starting out, go ahead and just tell me the story of Baylor season from, from kind of your perspective as someone who covers and analyzes Baylor, um, obviously kind of outperforming expectations, but, um, where do the bears sit right now? Uh, you know, in, in the first week of November. Well, the story comes with last year where you just didn't have cohesion in the offensive room. You didn't have quality coaching up front on the offensive line. You had most of the line that you had in 2019 back and you added an all pack 12 performer yet somehow got worse, you know? So within the Baylor fan base, there was a lot of optimism that this offensive line could take a very big step forward because you shouldn't have been that bad to begin with. Um, so based on that, um, bringing in Jeff Grimes and Eric Mateos to overhaul the offense and the offensive line definitely was a huge shot in the arm. And it kind of got started with a little bit of a stumble. I mean, it's not that the offense was playing fine and the defense was playing fine in the opener against Texas state, but a couple penalties extended scoring drives for a much weaker opponent. A touchdown grab was incorrectly ruled out of bounds and you, you ended up in a much closer game than you expected you'd get into with the team like that. And you, the worst team you've played in years and beat them like a drum. Then you beat Kansas, and while Kansas looks to be better than they've been recently, that's still Kansas. So you really didn't know what you had. Then you had a great half offensively against Iowa State, and then they shut you down in the second half. And you were able to squeak out a win where you played well, but you also made a lot of key mistakes, broken coverages left and right, like six or seven for over like 150 yards just to running backs and tight ends. It was not good. Then you go to Oklahoma State and you're, you pick up your first loss of the season. They came in with a wonderful game plan, held Baylor 0 for 6 on third downs in the first half. And while Baylor adjusted in the second half and got a little more production, it, it was very tough sledding there. And you, you really had a mixed back. And then three weeks, the offense, outstanding over 40 yards per drive each game, the over 45% scoring drives each game. You won, you put up over 30 points in each game, blew out West, BYU pretty convincingly. And you even two turnovers and completely not covering Xavier Worthy, you were able to beat Texas when you weren't playing your best. So you, there's definitely a lot more than there was a month ago. And we'll see what happens. You know, TCU's a solid team. Oklahoma is unbeaten. And then Kansas State's got a lot going on. And then Tech is always a sneaky game that can 
creep up on you. This team could potentially finish 4-0 or, you know, any of these teams could potentially jump up and bite you. This team has the opportunity to make it to the Big 12 title game, hypothetically the playoff if things bounce right for you. But at the same time, there's just more of a cautious optimism because they understand how up and down it's been during the season. For sure. And, and yeah, I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed watching them at times. Like the Iowa state game was fascinating. Even, um, even the Texas game, I felt like Baylor probably played its worst game. It could have, and still won that game with the turnovers and the, and the, and the coverage and issues and everything. And again, uh, my, my stance on Baylor this entire year has been, there's something to be said about quiet competence and, and most plays, most Baylor players just quietly do what they should. And that just goes so far. So many that, you know, so many teams can't say, Hey, we generally do what we should most plays. And Baylor very clearly can, can say that this year. Right. There's a certain level of just handling and letting the other grew up that pioneered the vast majority of the success in the Bill Snyder era at Kansas state. Yeah. You know, there's something to be said for handling your business and making the other team beat you. And Baylor's done a good job of that this year, but there's been some talent in both sides of the ball. You know, Siaki Aika at nose tackle, the defense, but also getting two of your better defensive linemen back after not having them last year, and then getting two uh, transfer portal offensive linemen that fit the scheme that you're running. Between those guys and having a number of guys on both sides of the ball grow up with another year in your program. It's really a more talented version of what you had last year. In addition to handling their business better, it's, it's been a huge step up and it's exciting to see where a random might be able to take them over the next few years. For sure. And I, I don't think I'm ruffling any feathers by saying that, um, I would take Jeff Grimes over Larry Fedora 10 times out of 10. And so that certainly doesn't help both on and off the field. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. That uh, they, they, they made a change and it worked out well for him. Fedora has some great skins on the wall from his time in North Carolina and some other places that he's been, but clearly didn't work in Waco. Clearly didn't yeah. work when you were trying to marry what he was doing with George Munoz and some of the stuff that was coming from LSU. Kudos to Aranda yeah. for making a tough call to make a switch because anytime you're dealing with people that you like and people that you've hired and you're spending so much of your year with those guys, it can't be easy to let somebody go. Yeah, yeah. And, and I really appreciate that he had a vision and kind of enacted it. Um, all right, let's Sam, let's let's dive into some of the nitty, nitty gritty here because so the line this weekend is TCU plus six and a half. They're home, so that, you know Baylor minus six and a half. And I have a little statistical model, and and this has this is a very close game, mostly because of what TCU's passing game has done in the games prior to the last two. I I have the sense that Baylor should win this comfortably, but there's a couple of questions I just want to kind of probe in and ask. And I think it would help our listeners to understand what to watch for this weekend. So first question, Baylor's offense, they're seventh in early downs EPA, very, very explosive on early downs, but they're only 63rd and third and fourth down conversion rate on the season. What, what gives there? Why is there such a split between what Baylor's able to do on early downs in your opinion, and what they're able to do on late downs, those third and fourth down conversions? Well, with those, with the split between what they're able to do on early downs and what they're able to convert, um, early downs, you're getting a lot of success because what's defined as success in EPA, you don't have 
you don't have to rip off huge plays. You just have to be progressing towards a first down. Um, generally, Baylor's been pretty good on third and fourth down conversion rate, except you have a first half where you were 0 for 6 against Oak State. And that was a game where you had 15 third down opportunities. I think only one other game had that many. Most games had 11. That's going to be an outsized sample. Um, when you take that out of the sample, and my data is not adjusted for mop-up time, so it'll probably differ a little bit from yours in this regard. But when you take that out of the equation and you just look at the rest of the games, I think you're talking about a down convert combined conversion rate that would be like six country or something in that ballpark. So I, I think that's the case of the outlier skewing the sample. Um, this is a this is a staff that really they do the we're going to play for fourth down and go for it on fourth down a lot more than most other teams that I've seen in and around Big 12 country. Even during the Mike Leach years, that was more of we're kind of close. Let's go for it rather than, oh, it's third down. Let's run this, get ourselves in position, then blow them off the ball on fourth down. You know, it it's a it seems to be a little different mentality there. Yeah, interesting. And 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 that kind of point about one game weighing that down is really interesting, uh, just from a data standpoint. Okay, cool. The uh the other thing I looked at is there's there's a pretty big split in kind of the raw defensive numbers. So against the pass in terms of EPA per pass allowed, Baylor is 33rd. Against the rush, Baylor is 64th in, in EPA allowed. Um, so a big split there. Do you think that there are, is, is a reason for the difference? Do you think Baylor is stronger against the run of the pass? Um, why are teams kind of rushing so much against Baylor? Is it because they perceive a weakness? What do you think is going on there? Well, I think the Iowa State and Oak State games were the outliers here that are really making the rush defense look a lot worse than it's been over the last month. Um Against Iowa State, I think you had three carries for 106 yards. And then Oak State, you, especially with Terrell Bar Bernard not in the lineup, you had a couple 20-plus yard runs, but you also just had some bad edge defense and guys weren't quite hitting their gaps right, which allowed a lot of first down conversions, which probably influenced that formula to a certain extent. But you're looking over the last month or so, non-sack yards per carry for a number of these teams. I mean, if you take, you look at uh, tailback yards per carry um, against West Virginia, BYU, UT, you're talking three or less. And against BYU, the one long running play they had was a 56 yard zone read on a fourth and one where Petrie blitzed off the edge and you didn't have a linebacker scrape over the top. So either the linebacker didn't scrape or Petrie should have stayed at home. Clearly, you had the numbers to account for that. Clearly somebody busted and they, they ran yeah, that off. Yeah. But when, when that and a couple of Casey Thompson scrambles are the only runs that have gone anywhere for the last four calendar weeks, uh, it's, it's hard to say that your run defense is porous. Um, but, you know, early in the year, they weren't exactly very disciplined in the gaps. I think getting a couple guys into the lineup has helped. I think getting a couple guys a little more experience in the lineup has helped. Um, the pass defense is a lot 
more at risk. In addition to one guy thinking it was cover one and one guy thinking it was cover three against Texas and nobody covering the one guy on the Texas roster that would probably beat most of your roster in a uh, hundred meter dash. <laughs> yeah. um, in addition to that, um, a former four-star receiver out of high school for BYU, Puka Nakua, put on a clinic Went up, got a number of possession balls. You had one busted coverage in there. And then uh, Gunnar Romney, who'd been a productive receiver for them and another four-star out of high school, he also had a big one. BYU hit them deep for a lot of good plays. Um, and I was, I was frankly surprised to see that the rush defense was having worse stats just given how many times they had busted coverage, coverages against Iowa State in addition to the earned plays that you had against BYU and things like – and just how much they really – suffocated the run the last three yeah if, if i'm looking at this stat from uh from the texas game um the longest run was on account of casey thompson that they gave up was a scramble for 25 yards Bijan robinson 2.5 yards per carry nine yards was his longest run and so obviously there's some issues with texas we could do a whole podcast about about their um play selection but yeah, generally Baylor was able to kind of stifle that rushing attack. Um, if Zach Evans is healthy, I, 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 again, I think Baylor will be able to kind of key in on him and say what they did with Texas. Casey Thompson beat us. And uh, I think, I think Baylor will be able to say Max Duggan beat us or, or Chandler Morris, if things are going really poorly in Fort Worth. Um, and, and maybe some of those coverage issues will get ironed out because Baylor has seemed to improve kind of year or week over week. Right. I mean, you went from allowing a very high percentage of dropback passes against BYU. Uh, I think around 14% of their pass plays went for 20 plus yards against Texas. It was less than eight. And that's okay. including the nobody cover Xavier Worthy play. Um, yeah. It, you know, part of that's Texas having some drops. Part of that, you're doing a better job of covering guys, getting somebody in there to break something up. But, you know, one of the things this defense has struggled with is big, big passing plays, you know, and part of that schematic, the last two weeks, they were saying, Bajan Robinson, you're not going to beat us. And then on the BYU side, Tyler Algier, you're not going to yeah. beat us, which if you've caught that Virginia BYU game, um, 14 offensive drives for BYU and they averaged 53 yards per drive and they scored on 71% of them Jeez. and uh, 385 rushing yards on the ground. Most of that Algier, I think Miranda made the right call there. Yeah, um, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that guy is something else, man. He's, he's awesome there. And so interesting. Okay. So, so I like that that kind of, um, the fluidity with the Aranda defense to say, I know what my opponent's strength is and I'm going to play to that. And again, all you can ask from a team is that they improve week over week. Um, let's, let's hit these last two questions. Uh, okay. So I have to ask Gary Bohannon at his best. What, what is he, how much has he grown this season? And, and when he struggles, where does he struggle in your opinion? Well, it's tough to really quantify how much he's grown because he was such an unknown coming into the season. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other than like a quick out that RJ Sneed did something with at Kansas State in 2019 and a couple long runs he had in mop-up time, the guy really didn't see any significant time other than when Charlie Brewer went down in the Big 12 title game 
But even then, Gary Bohannon had a leg injury there. That is yeah. no way a fair metric to judge him on because that Oklahoma defense was getting through the Baylor protections pretty well. And Gary still made a couple of big plays. Um, you couldn't write um, in health-wise in that game. So you really didn't know what you had. Um, what he's revealed himself to be so far is he's generally careful with the football. He's a capable runner. He studies really hard, uh, but he's also pretty early in his development as a starter. Um, you're talking about a guy that was at a small high school in Arkansas when he was a recruit. He had all the physical tools are there, but then the amount of live reps he's had as the guy at anything above a small high school level is pretty limited. And I think he's Can still I interrupt learning. you there for a second? I, I yeah, love absolutely. I love that Gary Bohannon didn't go play wide receiver somewhere else and that he like found a spot he'd come play quarterback. You know, you think about like small school athletic kid, a lot of times those guys are like, Yeah, I'm probably not gonna play quarterback at the next level. And I love that he's found a place where he can fit and then he's been so good so far. Right. He's surpassed my expectations so far. Yeah. And you know, he still has a ways to go. When he's under center and the protection's breaking down, you don't, you don't get the sense that he's going to go make the crazy play that a Pat Mahomes, for instance, would make. Don't get me wrong. That's, yeah. that's a standard that a lot of guys can't live up to. But even some of the lesser quarterbacks than that that you've seen at kind of top-tier Big 12 quarterback play over the last decade or so, I, I think he's not quite there yet, but I think he can get there. Um, I, and I think he's got the measurables that if he keeps developing – he should get a shot at the next level. Um, but it's going to be something that it's going to be a process. Um, I think in the Texas game, they showed him some looks that he hadn't seen. So he passed on one read because he hesitated, then forced it to the next one. That was the first pick. Then the second pick, he just didn't diagnose Tampa two and thought it was cover two. Tried to hit that middle hole, got picked. You know, who, who among he, us has not mistaken? Tampa two for cover two in our lives. <laughs> I go on Twitter. Somebody will claim they'd never do it. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's geniuses everywhere there, but no, um, I, I think he's a good quarterback and I think he will continue to grow into it. And I think he's been a great leader for the team and he, he does everything right. He gets the team going and uh, he's surpassed my expectations so far and hopefully he keeps doing it. Yeah, absolutely. He's been, he's been a great story and, and watching what Grimes has done. Cause I think we just talked about this off air. So I hope I'm not repeating myself on air, but like he threw the pick against Texas and the next drive they went, Hey, we're just going to throw outs. Like we're just, we're going to get you completions uh, that are going to keep, you know, Hey, you're, you're still our quarterback. Like we don't doubt you, whatever. And I, I think about that only in the lens of TCU where, you know, Max Duggan throws a questionable ball over the middle of the field and TCU is running it 60 straight times. They're like, Nope. We're never throwing it again. And so I, I really love what Grimes has been able to do with, with Bohannon there and, and kind of, um, I, I don't want to say, the, the, the pejorative word is coddle. And that's not what I mean necessarily, nurture, right? I think nurture is a really great word for what Jeff Grimes is doing with, with Bohannon in kind of his development there. Right. There's something to be said for a play caller catering yeah. to the strengths and weaknesses of their players. And I think that certainly counts for a lot but part of that i think is texas had to react certain ways to deny the wide zone which inherently yeah. creates some opportunities off of that 
And I think a lot of what was open was as a result of that and as a result of what Texas' overall strategy has been. Because comparing what I saw Texas doing to defend Baylor to what I saw that same defensive coordinator doing to defend BYU running effectively the same scheme back in 2019, it was night and day. And I think I think UT's personnel had a lot to do with that. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And there's a ton of nuance in that for sure. Um, okay. One more question that I'm going to have to uh, toss uh, your way, just because it's been so um, polarizing. feels like either TCU runs a kick back or they take it out of the end zone and they get stopped at their own 16. It's very frustrating. Here's the field position advantage. I'll just give you the ranks. Um, Baylor starting field position on offense, 30th in the nation. TCU is allowing uh, 71st in the nation in infield position allowed. You flip that around, Baylor's defense is allowing 18th in the nation, and TCU's offense is average starting 99th field position in the nation. So huge splits there. Baylor's field position has been excellent both sides of the ball. Um, talk to me about special teams. Talk to me about why they have such a huge field position advantage on the season. Well, in addition to having great returner in Tristan Ebner, um, in addition Agreed to that, everything in Tristan Ebner, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Beyond that, you've got first off Rauschenberg is kickoff guy. Um, when you're looking at the, the kickoffs between 87% touchbacks and then the surprise on side against BYU, and then the couple that he's kicked out of bounds, you're talking less than 8% of kickoffs are returnable. Of the kickoffs that have been returned, they're averaging 15 yards, which is very good kick coverage. So there's really not a lot of opportunities, and what opportunities they are getting are running into good coverage. And then when you're punting it, one, that offense goes for it on fourth down and is doing a great job of staying on the field, generally speaking. But you've got a great punter. Your punt coverage units allow three yards per return. And between touchbacks and fair catches, only 40% of punts are returnable. You know, so that's really not giving a whole lot of opportunity for the opposing return men to impact the game. And then from the turnover standpoint, which goes right into field position as well, you've only given it away seven times. The only two that were in your side of the field were against Texas. So you're moving the ball. You're not punting very often. When you are, you're covering it. When you're kicking off, they're not getting a chance to return it. And you're not, you're not turning over the ball. That's a, that's a recipe that works there for sure for field position. That makes me a little bit, more than a little bit nervous for TCU because honestly, some of their best offense has come from Darius Davis returning punts and returning kickoffs. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how that, how that pans out. If, if, if TCU can make anything happen or if, uh, if Baylor's excellence in special teams carries over. Um, okay, Sam, I didn't put this one in our questions, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Give me a projection for the game. Uh, projection for the game. Well, I haven't finalized my prediction yet because I want to see a little more of uh, TCU versus K-State to kind of see what went down there. But generally, you don't have to watch that game. You don't have to do that to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when I when I look at making predictions for our site, I typically take the data I have for other games and I think through the schematic matchup and I kind of average those together. How many drives are we going to have? How many times are they going to score? 
And right now, based off that, I'm projecting 34-24 Baylor, thinking there's going to be around 11 drives. Baylor's going to score on roughly half of them. TCU is going to score on about 36, 37% of them. And Baylor's going to have a slight turnover advantage and is going to have a slight advantage in field position, but not by much. So that's, what, that's the way I've got it. Okay, 34-24. I'm interested in those. This offseason, remind me, let's come around and talk because I've got a, got a quality possession rate that's like a almost you saying they should score on you know half of them or something. I'm interested in that. We'll talk about it. Um, 34-24. Very interesting. Sam, right. this has been so oh. insightful. Oh, go no, go ahead. I was I was I was no, outroing, no. but if you got more, let's do it. No, no worries, no worries. Yeah, on um, on the season, I'm pretty close on the opponent score, typically about one to two points off on that. I'm undershooting Baylor by about a touchdown on average this season. So, well, if TCU scores 24 points, I will be thrilled. Let me tell you the way the last couple of weeks have gone. So, um, that's that's great, Sam. This has been so insightful. I appreciate your uh, thoughts on on Baylor and TCU. Where can people find you and 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 find your work? Right, uh, my work is going to be at. Uh, Sikkim365.com. Most of what I do is under the premium section, but some stuff gets outside the paywall. Most weeks I'll be previewing the roster athletically and experience wise for whoever Baylor plays. I'll do a stats breakdown of who we play and then an X's and O's breakdown with prediction each week. Awesome. Very cool. And I love, I, I've noticed uh, you do a, a, your scheme breakdown has like I'm, I'm a moron. And so what I need is I need bright colors on a field and you do, you know, you section out the field and do all these. So really, really great stuff there, man. Um, Sam, enjoy talking about it, man. And we'll, we'll definitely keep chatting on Twitter as the game is uh, coming up. Make sure you guys go follow him on Twitter and I will link him in the show notes. Thanks.